Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sustainable Finance Podcast, where you can expand your sustainable and ESG opportunities with insights from leaders in the field. I'm Paul Ellis, your host for these weekly conversations about developments in this fast-growing industry. This week, the Sustainable Finance Podcast is celebrating World Water Day. And here are a couple of statistics that everyone should be aware of. A mere 3% of water on Earth is fresh and potable for healthy human consumption. And 70% of this fresh water is used for agricultural production. This is why I'm thrilled to have John Simon as my guest today. John is founding partner of Total Impact Capital, a private equity firm that funds social enterprises with expertise in achieving several of the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals, including number six, clean water and sanitation for all by 2030. Prior to founding Total Impact Capital, John was a visiting fellow at the Center for Global Development, where he co-authored More Than Money, a report on impact investing as a development tool. Previously, he held a variety of posts in the U.S. federal government, including serving most recently as the United States Ambassador to the African Union and the Executive Vice President of the Overseas Private Investment Corporation, otherwise known as OPIC. Hello, John, and welcome to the Sustainable Finance Podcast. Thank you, Paul. Thanks for having me. Yes, it's a real pleasure to have you join us today. John, Total Impact Capital was recently featured on the list of innovators in ESG and impact investing 2021 by Private Equity International. Tell our listeners about your firm's innovative approach to the use of debt in private equity investment. Uh, Sure, Paul. So basically, when we look at the opportunity to make a difference in the world, Uh, We see lots of different uh, channels through which people and entrepreneurs and social enterprises uh, can do so. Uh, Where we tend to focus is on organizations, and these are often non-governmental organizations, sometimes uh, 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 social enterprises that have been active in the field for quite some time and have built a, a very strong track record of creating impact. The challenge for them is how they scale uh, their successful models. And what we do is we work with the with these partners on the ground to structure financing vehicles that allow them to take the the high impact business models they've created uh, and, and and scale them by uh, three four five ten times what, the, what they're able to do using impact investment capital and basically our, our model involves three three critical components one is that we use blended finance to to buy down the risk uh, and, and that means we try and find concessional capital that can partner with return-seeking capital uh, to provide a, a proposition to the investor that is, that is low risk, high impact, and re- fairly competitive in terms, of, uh, in, in terms of interest rate and return. Two, uh, as the, the uh, organization you mentioned um, indicated, we tend to focus on the fixed income side. So there's a tremendous amount of impact investment that's in the uh, private equity space uh, or the venture capital space, but many, many people are looking for impact in their portfolios and are, but aren't willing to, to lock up their capital for the term of, of, a, of a, a 10-year term of a typical private equity fund or a VC fund. They're, 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 more, they're, they're more interested in something that provides a steady 
income stream. And uh, given a steady income stream, they're not too concerned about the, the, the absolute return. And that's what we tend to offer is a fixed income opportunity uh, to invest in high impact um, uh, 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 interventions with, with, a, with a blended finance model. And the, the last critical component is using the technical assistance of our partners to basically reduce the risk of, of the underlying investment along with the financial engineering that we do with blended finance. So that technical assistance is critical to making sure that the underlying users of that capital are set up to succeed. And the result has been in several of our, our vehicles, very low or even non-existent losses. That's terrific, John. It's a, that's a really nice, compact business model. Now, as I mentioned before, when we opened the program, we're celebrating World Water Day this week. And as climate change increases the severity of droughts around the world, access to fresh water becomes more precious for humanity. So tell us why this is an especially important focus for social impact investors and how you bring private market capital to bear on SDG number six, clean water and sanitation. Yeah, so the impact investors we tend to work with are heavily focused on basic human needs. Um, that's food, that's water, uh, that's healthcare, housing, education, and, 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 and home energy. And so if we can deliver a financial product that really expands access to and increases the quality of, of of those basic human needs, we find a fairly uh, uh, receptive investor market. And water is, is as almost as basic as you can get. And the other interesting thing about water is water has business models that are sustainable financially. People do pay for their water. In fact, people who have less access to water tend to pay more for it, more in absolute terms and more from an, from an income perspective. And the other thing that we find is often the way that water is delivered to un uh, underserved communities, particularly in, in the developing world, it's through very dysfunctional, expensive, and low quality means. So in fact, people are paying more for less and less clean water than they would get if in fact, if we can mobilize capital to improve the systems, increase the efficiency, and, and, and provide them with regular water, uh, often piped to their homes. So through impact investment, John, in social enterprises, your firm works with established in-country programs that have sector expertise in one or more of the SDGs. This experience allows invested capital to help grow and scale proven approaches for entrepreneurial enterprises to become financially sustainable. What does financially sustainable mean in the context of these entrepreneurs working in smaller economies? Uh, that's, a, that's, a, that's a great question. Um, so I, I would want to take one step back and say that part of where I view impact investment differing from, from a commercial investment, if you will, is the, the return is not the end. The return is a necessary requirement to make sure that the delivery of services can happen. Uh, so the goal of, of, of what we do is not to maximize return, it's to maximize access to basic human needs. And the reason we need a return is because the, to, to mobilize capital into these basic human needs, those investors need to see a return coming back. And if that return is, is too low uh, and there's not enough capital coming in, we lose the opportunity to expand these high impact interventions. 
So from the point of view of the organizations we work with, like I say, a number of them are not-for-profits. Many of them are, are NGOs. They're, they're looking for capital to help them do more of what they do and to do it on a sustainable basis so they don't have to continuously go, go to donors to fund the, nec the next iteration of, of, of their activity. Uh, that is where financial sustainability comes, comes down for us. It's, it's, it's enough uh, uh, return that allows them, uh, allows our, our partners to deliver their services, to, to grow the po population to whom they're, 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 they're providing those services, and to make sure those services are, are, are high quality, and to make sure that, that what is happening today, where access to capital is a real constraint on them meeting people uh, on them meeting the needs of, of the people they want to serve where that constraint no longer is there. And if, if we can get enough return for that, and in today's environment, that's not a tremendous amount, then we can achieve our goals. So John, can you give us a couple of examples of this approach to social Im enterprise impact investing? Sure. So uh, I'll, I'll, I'll give you two um, in, in the water sector. And obviously, like I said, we're working in, in several other sectors too. Uh, and we can, we can talk about those if those, those are of interest as well. So for instance, we're working with Catholic Relief Services, which has a, has a several decade track record of working in the, in the water sector around the world, particularly in Latin America, on a financing vehicle called Azure Source Capital. And what Azure Source Capital does is it provides loans to water service providers, to basically water cooperatives are, are the typical borrower that we, that we finance for them to, to upgrade their systems uh, and, and provide cleaner, more regular water to, the, to, to, their, to, the, to their customers um, at, based on, on infrastructure improvement plans that are developed by the technical experts that, that are uh, overseen by Catholic Relief Services and their technical service partners. So typically, if you look at one of these water cooperatives, they may serve 500 to 1,000 families and because they have decrepit systems, because they don't maintain them that well, because they don't know how much water uh, uh, any of their members use, they tend to deliver water a few hours a day or maybe even every other day. And because the, the, the members don't know when the water is going to come, they turn on their taps and leave them open with a big cistern underneath waiting for the water to come, which of course is a very inefficient way to, to when, when everyone's tap is on, you need a lot more power to, to get the water through the pipes. So what, what the technical service partners will do is they'll come in and they'll identify that if you put micrometers in, you can see how much water everyone's using and you could charge people for water used instead of a flat fee, which encourages conservation. You can then get people to not keep their taps all, all turned on all the time, which allows you to put in place a, a, a more efficient water pump, which saves electricity. You can then have a maintenance plan to make sure there, there's less leakage. And if you do all of that, you create, generate instant cash flow, and that cash flow is enough to service the debt that, that finances those improvements. And that has been the case uh, uh, in, in, uh, in each case we've had, so that even with the COVID crisis, we've yet to have a late payment on any of our loans that we've made through this program. Wow. Um, another program we're working on is in East Africa, which is a different model. In East Africa, you don't have a lot of these water cooperatives that deliver pipes to people's homes, people tend to get their water from, from vendors of, of one sort or another. And we're working with, with a vendor, Jibu, uh, which has developed a, a very 
well-respected brand that people know delivers high quality water and delivers it through franchises. So they basically um, find uh, entrepreneurs who are willing to run a business uh, and sell Jibu water uh, and, 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 and do all the work it takes to make sure that that water can get uh, to the pe people who need it. And in fact, thanks to COVID, a lot of that involves delivery these days instead of people coming with their water canisters to, to, to the, to the, to the uh, franchisee uh, headquarters itself. Uh, the challenges, of course, these young entrepreneurs, you know, unlike a, a fast food franchise here in the United States where the, the franchisees put up the capital uh, for the business, these young entrepreneurs don't have uh, enough capital to finance all the equipment necessary uh, to run the water franchise, the, the filtration equipment, the, the, the power uh, required, um, the, the, the pumps. And so Jibu winds up financing that themselves. What we're doing with, with Jibu is we'll buy that equipment from them and lease it back so that they then can use that capital to help start uh, uh, new franchisees and, and reach even more people. So the capital gets turned over and over. Is that the idea? You keep well, forwarding the capital to fund new entrepreneurial endeavors? That's this right. So we, we would buy the, the equipment that's, that's uh, provided to the, to the franchisees who've already scaled up, who've already achieved a certain level of profitability so that they can pay the lease cost um, through, the, through their fr franchising fee. And then with that additional capital that Jibu gets, they're able to start new franchises, which obviously on day one, aren't generating enough revenue to pay the lease. But over time, nine to 12 months, they, they are. And then we would buy the equipment from those franchises. So John, yes, why don't you add a non-water related example here? Right? This is fascinating. Go ahead. Well, we started in the health area with a, with a group called the uh, Farm Access out of the Netherlands, and their, their financing facility for, for uh, uh, health enterprises in Africa, small and medium health enterprises called the Medical Credit Fund. And basically, uh, what Farm Access was doing is they were helping uh, health clinics increase their quality. Uh, and typically, sort of the same as with the uh, water cooperatives in, in Latin America, we're working through working with Azure. You know there are a tremendous number of things that if you that if you you do these things, you you sort of re restructure the 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 um, patient flow within your facility. Um, you buy critical equipment, the right equipment, not equipment that's going to break down and not have any spare parts. You you put in you put in appropriate uh, pharmacy management, financial management systems. You dramatically increase the the uh, efficiency and the profitability of these underlying enterprises, and Farm Access through a program called SafeCare would help identify those types of uh, interventions that would Im improve profitability and efficiency. But that required capital, and the banks in Africa weren't willing to give uh, provide loans to small-scale health enterprises because. Uh, among other things, they, they, they were worried that if the health enterprises didn't pay, they would, they would have to foreclose. And no one wanted to be the, be the organization that uh, foreclosed on, on the only health clinic in a neighborhood. The Medical Credit Fund realized that by working with the, the was created by Farm Access and by working with the, the technical service experts, they could, they could take the risk out of these loans um, and they could pr provide these loans knowing that the underlying mm -hmm. Um, enterprises were well managed and able to 
implement the steps that would, would ensure the loans would be repaid because they were being supported by the technical assistance uh, from, from Farm Access. And in fact, in the 10 years or 10 plus years that the medical credit fund has existed, it's now made over 105 million in loans. You know, until COVID, it basically had a 3% non-performing loan rate. Well, that's an excellent rate for any lending organization, right? Yeah, and, I, and if you look at the non-performing loan rates for small, medium enterprise portfolios at African banks, you know, you'll see six, seven, eight, you know, 10% often. So this is a much better track record. Absolutely. Now, John, your firm specializes in working with investors looking to add these types of strategies to their portfolio that provide both high impact and low risk associated with specific SDGs. How do you support investor clients in developing their SDG-centered focus for these portfolio strategies? Yeah, so, so by and large, the, the investors that we work with are investors who have made a commitment to, to supporting impact and supporting the SDGs and are really looking for product. So our role is primarily to generate that product. Uh, and, and we look, you know, our primary focus in, is finding um, implementers on the ground who, 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 who have business, who, who deliver impact through business models that generate revenue. And if those business models generate revenue, then there's a possibility that we can structure a financing mechanism to leverage that revenue. And once we do that, often we look to, to a number of the private parties that have been supporting those types of institutions to see rather than, than providing grants, would they be willing to provide investment? And that usually creates a, an interesting chain reaction where we, we, we find ourselves with a number of different types of investors who, who are eager to support this, this model of impact. And, you know, uh, there, 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 there are several classes of investors who are currently supporting the types of projects we work with, folks like development finance institutions, like the organization I used to work at, OPIC, the Inter-American Development Bank, the Inter International Finance Corporation, the, the Commonwealth Development Corporation, as it used to be called, now CDC out of the UK. Then there are a number of foundations that are very interested in, in taking some of their foundation monies and putting them into investment, program-related investment or mission-related investment, Instead of instead of just pure grants, and then there are more and more uh, family offices and specialized impact investment vehicles that really are are, are exist to try and finance um, uh, uh, investment that does that that has has social value and creates social good. John, you mentioned earlier in our conversation that blended finance is a very important part of the investment strategies that you put together. Can you explain to our listeners a little bit more about how that blend occurs and what the component parts of it are? Sure. So uh, blended finance is really taking what's called concessional capital. And the most concessional capital there is is grant capital, but also there's recoverable grants and there's uh, below market uh, in, in investment capital and combining that with capital that's seeking a competitive return so that, so that a um, investment opportunity that may, that's reached, that has a tremendously, a tremendously high impact and maybe reaching a large number of underserved uh, of beneficiaries, uh, customers, <laughs> uh, but, but is not able to produce the, the type of, of, returns along with uh, the, the buffer for the bad times 
that a pure private investor would look for is able is able to produce still produce a return that 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 the the um, non-concessional capital in this structure would be willing to accept. And you know there are lots of different ways that this this comes in. In one in some cases it may well be that the so-called concessional capital and the more market-oriented capital, more commercial commercial-oriented capital are getting the same return in good times, but in bad times, the concessional capital is willing to defer some of its return to make sure that the, 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 the um, uh, commercial capital doesn't suffer a loss. And sometimes the, the, the commercial capital receives uh, its, its return first, and only when the commercial capital has received a minimum return would the concessional capital uh, get, get any funds back. And in that case, often the concessional capital is just looking for its principal back. In some cases, the concessional capital provides some sort of guarantee, again, to weather, weather the bad times. As you'll note, usually the concessional capital is there to, to reduce risk, not, not to um, enhance return. We've got a few minutes left in the program today, John. Could we spend a little bit of time talking about the private sector market-based mechanisms that your firm uses to turn global problems into global opportunities for investors. Sure, uh, I, 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 you know, I mean, for for us, the the, the um, everything we do is about seeing a global problem as a way to to generate a investment product that that ultimately can can lead to its solution. So where people do not have access to water, where people do not have access to healthcare, where people do not have access to food, we look for, for uh, social entrepreneurs who are willing, who, who can develop um, market-based uh, uh, private sector oriented business models that can deliver those goods, receive some sort of revenue for it, not necessarily, as I pointed out, uh, 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 Shoot the moon in terms in terms of uh, uh, of revenues, but enough to support their operations and a little bit more to support the investment they need to grow. John, how can our podcast listeners contact you and Total Impact Capital about what we've discussed in today's program, and where can they go online to learn more about your firm's impact investment work? Well, uh, we have a website, www.totalimpactcapital.com. Uh, if they go there, there's a, there's a uh, address they can, they can send emails to. We check that often. Uh, they're welcome to visit us at our offices in, in Bethesda, but during the COVID pandemic, they may not find anyone there. So hopefully in a month or two, we'll, we'll, we'll be back at our offices. But, but until now, I think the website might be the best way to, to, to get in touch. Okay, well, thanks again, John Simon, the founder of Total Impact Capital. And to our listeners, please join us again next week for another episode. I'm Paul Ellis, your host for the Sustainable Finance Podcast. 